So there's there there are two possibilities going on here. One, you're you're bringing up a term that I have never heard before. The the other possibility is that this is a term I've heard before, but it involves a language that uses pronunciation that's different from Latinate, and so you have no idea how to say it properly. An intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film. You know, it's been over 20 years, but spoilers. Oh, okay. So so the resident Catholic thinking about that, we're going for low Earth orbit. There is no rational here. Blame it on me after. And you know I will. I mean, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I'm just kind of excited that like you and producer George will have something to talk about that basically just means that I can show up and get fed. to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher uh, and a English teacher here in Northern California at the middle school level. Um, and uh, I can also uh, now mention uh, that um, I, I have I have had the opportunity to make my own lightsaber. Um, my, my wife and I uh, headed down to visit my family in Southern California. Um, and, uh, while we were down there, um, kind of as an add on to the trip, uh, we'd been planning for it for a while. We visited Disneyland and I had the opportunity to go to, uh, uh, galaxy's edge for the first time. I did not expect to get emotional when I saw the millennium Falcon. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did, mm -hmm. uh, like, Han, Han and Chewie were not like the, the focus of, of my emotionality, you know, and my emotional like attachment to, mm -hmm. to that property. Um, so I, I figured, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm, I'm going to be grinning like, like a little kid. And I know that my inner eight year old is just going to be losing his mind the whole time I'm there. But I didn't think that the millennium Falcon would, would be a thing, but, but it was, um, I, I teared up a little bit. Um, and, um, I had, I had the opportunity to, to build my own lightsaber. Mm -hmm. It is the most Catholic option possible, uh, out of the choices <laughs> that you can, that you can, uh, that you can choose from, uh, from so your scrap metal light. parts. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the whole, the total, uh, temple guard model, you know, with, with all the, all the gold and coppery looking, looking accents on it. And, and God, I love it. So, um, and, um, the other, the other experience that, that I, I really want to want to share is I got the opportunity to mouth off to a stormtrooper, mm. and, and that made like, like the whole thing made my day, obviously, but that was, that was just too much, too much fun. Um, cause I, I went, I was, we were walking around on the, on the new order side of things and I was wearing a gray t-shirt with the rebellion logo on it. Big, big as life in, in black. And, uh, and he spotted me and, and trooper came over and 
you know, you got to show me some ID. And, and I looked him right in the eye and said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I must have left that in my other suit of armor. And, and I know that it's all canned and I know that like, it's, it's all it, you know, I mean, I mean, I know that it's not, but it felt so goddamn good. <laughs> it was just so fulfilling, like on a, on a really, on a really basic emotional level, just getting to do that was sure. amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, uh, it's, it's been, uh, a, a little bit since we got back, but like the whole experience was amazing. Um, and I can't wait for the next time we're planning on the next time we're, we're going to, we're, we're planning on going back to Disneyland again in three years. So, so okay. my little boy is five now when he's eight, we're going to go back. Oh, very cool. Which will give us the opportunity to, you know, save up to do it again. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm already looking forward to it. So, um, that's me. Uh, how about you? What do you got going on? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a high school U.S. history teacher up here in the Northern California area. Um, and I know I've talked to you about this offline, but I don't know if I've talked to you about this recently online. Mm. Uh, so uh, my partner and I have uh, been together quite some time now. Mm. Uh, and uh, I've met her kids and they love me. She has met my kids and they love her. Um, and to the point where like, uh, no, put your eyebrows down. We're okay. waiting until they're out of the house before we. All right. Out. Okay, fine. Uh, all of, <laughs> like, all no. of my, all of my, you know, Damien, no. uh, no, no, having no. a, having a Brady Bunch life. Oh, hell fanfic no. No, is, we're not going to okay, do that to our right. kids is ultimately yeah, what that is, is like. Yeah, I, I know. I yeah, like on a, on a logical level, yeah. on, a, on a totally rational level, I totally get that. But like, you know, as you're the difference between, there's a part of me that's Here's like, the difference between your 30s and your 40s you know, yeah. is in your 30s, you would do that and be optimistic about the outcome. <laughs> in your 40s, you're like, why do that? Let's why? just wait. Yeah. Like. It's not my kid's fault that I fell in love with her, and it's not her kid's fault yeah, that I felt that she fell yeah. in love with me. Yeah, so, so we her don't kids... need to impose that on either of them. Yeah, <laughs> and and like you know, her kids love you, your kids love her. That's right. awesome. Are they going to love each other? And the thing is, they've never met. Yeah, because mm. you know, there, there's there's yeah. all kinds yeah, of logistics. all kinds reasons. of just plain yeah, just straight up logistics. And but then at the there's end of the just day, like, I figured the best way to get them to meet was D and D. Well, yeah, because it's a contrived environment. Uh, it it takes care of any and all personality because you got to you know see yeah. this. So, I designed a game wherein they would eventually meet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I famously rip off other stories, right? So my well, kids, yeah. my kids, the NPC that was guiding them was a fighter with a really good glaive. Um, whose name was Dean, and he really likes pie and hot women. Um, and he's food, not that yeah. bright. Uh, my spirit animal, my my totem. To the point where yeah. my son went to wake him up, and he was still kind of sleepy, groggy, and he said, "Hey, Dean, there's hot babes over there. What babes?" And he gets up and runs, and it's still a joke. All I have to do is look You're... over my son and go, "Hey, William, babes." And he just starts laughing his ass off, right? That's so they funny. they met Dean. Um, okay. The uh, my my partner's kids they met a ranger who's exceptionally tall, uh, who does a lot of reading <laughs> and uh -huh. has a journal that he keeps. Uh, yeah. That has like all the monsters he's ever hunted that his dad gave yeah. him, and yeah. his name is Sam. 
So yeah, everything's going along. Is, great. There, is their last name like Wind Heart? No, I never. Like they, they never got a last name. Okay, all right. Um, everything's going along great. I was like, okay. this is how I'm going to bring it together. These two brothers have been in constant contact with each other because they have sending stones. No problem. Boom, they're gonna. What I did make plans in the dice laugh. Yeah, and <laughs> so my partner's kid lost his first character, and Sam died, Ooh. and I think that kind of blunted the blow. Um, yeah. But Sam died as well, and that I was not prepared for. So, turns out you should probably get them to silver their weapons before they go break into a werebore's house. Yeah, yeah, so that would probably. Sam, Sam's dead, and then yeah. and I was like, "Well, shit." Um, what do I do here? So then I killed Dean uh, in the other game. And, okay. And I don't think they were fighting vampires per se, but it was close to that. Mm, yeah. And and he ends up. You had him get impaled on the furniture. Yeah, something to that effect, or yeah, or no, yeah. I think he. What did he? I think there were trolls or something. Okay. Um, and 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 he ended up dying, but it was right after they'd rescued his friend, a fallen Asimir named uh, Castiel. So. <laughs> who is a sorcerer of the divine soul. Um, have you, have you mentioned any of this to friend of the show, Tessa? No, no, you need to, I should. because yeah, I can really. hear her howling. Yes. Like already. So I've gotten yeah. the kids to, um, again, I rip things off famously, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. my, my kids and Castiel yeah. have hunted down a, uh, where they were hunting down a rumor and then, they took shelter in this house in the middle of a place, and mm. uh, I decided to go Night of the Living Dead on them. So, ooh, and right, it's not right. D zombies per se because I think that's kind of dumb. So, these are zombies that don't think tactically and and move very slowly. And yeah. for a while, they were yeah. bottlenecking them, and it worked great. But I there was enough in there, so now they've trapped themselves in the basement. Like I said, it's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. Trap themselves in the basement behind a, a a false bookcase, which, by the way, that false bookcase works by putting a torch in. And at one point, uh, Castiel ended up on the other side, and you hear him shout, "Put the torch, the torch back. back!" Nice. Uh, nice. Both my kids love that. Um, nice. Also, Castiel is very literal. Um, and yeah, uh, well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so when Dean said that, you know, oh, that, you know, that, that troll is toast. He's like, I don't think they have any baking skills, Dean. So that's another way to get my son laughing his ass off. But <laughs> they've now trapped themselves at the end of a corridor oh, uh, no. behind a false wall. And, yeah. and I left it with the ambient sound of something banging on the corridor wall, like doesn't know how yeah. to get in. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's just a matter. Of, and that's the cliffhanger. Because uh-huh. they're gonna meet uh, my partner, her kids, <laughs> on the other side of their wall. It's gonna uh, 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 nice. So All I right. have to get them to there. Yeah. So right. now the NPC is Castiel. There is no Dean. Nice. There is no Sam. <laughs> mm. Which, in fairness, I mean, I could just bring them back, and and that would be. And you'd still be true to the source material. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite so. Anyway, 
That's that's not, not I like they didn't on. do that enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's I yeah. I I live in envy of of the shit you do in your in your D and D games when you're okay, when so you're running that. Like your kid is close to the age that I started my kids. Yes. So we we have some uh, listening and taking your turn things to work on before he'll be he'll be ready simple arithmetic and basic reading yeah because what comes along with those is listening and taking your turn because this is the good to point. learn that's to true. do those things you yeah. have to have listened and waited your turn yeah so, that's true yeah yeah well he's and getting there. Like, he's getting yeah. close he's he's working his way toward it yeah yep. yeah so so um that is that is way cool way cool yeah, I'm, yeah, that's very, very, that's, yeah, of, of, and, and that is the most you way <laughs> of handling that real life situation that I can, that I can conceive of. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything, everything about that is, is very, very you. And yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Yep. So, um, when, when we left off, at at the end of our last episode, mm-hmm. um, I had gone through talking about confession mm-hmm. and uh, how uh, forgiveness and redemption mm-hmm. is it like works in the in the faith tradition and the paradigm that I'm operating from. Sure, um, that's that's what you need to do uh, in, in order to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is all the whole, the whole conversation up to this point has been focused on, on the example of, uh, Snape, uh, Severus Snape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that like he never did any of that. So, uh, very quickly, uh, for, you know, anybody who, who forgets, like who hasn't just listened to the last episode, uh, in order to receive forgiveness, according to Catholicism. You have to confess your sin, which means recognizing that you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to express your contrition or your sorrow for having done it. You mm-hmm. you you have to genuinely be sorry you did it. You have to feel bad about what you did. You have to do penance. And, and this is something that non-Catholics sometimes don't kind of understand the role of. Um, like you, you will get often you will be assigned uh something that that the priest will will tell you to do as your penance so you know say 50 hail marys um and and you're going to pray pray those prayers and the thing is it is not the act of praying those prayers that gets you forgiven which is which is the way that gets interpreted frequently by non-catholics like well you know you say a few prayers and you're forgiven no, praying those prayers is something you do mm-hmm. as a way of expressing your desire to make things right. Okay. okay. Right. And then when when you finish talking to the priest and saying, This is what I did, and I, you know, I feel horrible about it, and this is whatever, the priest then says, you know, go and sin no more. You are, you know, your sins are forgiven. And also important to note, um, it is not the priest who is forgiving you. The priest is standing in for God, telling you that God has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to take ownership of what you did wrong. 
You have to recognize and admit that it was wrong. You have to show a desire to set things right and get back in touch with God and your fellow mortals. The definition of sin in mainline Christianity, not just Catholicism, is any act that separates you from God. Right. Um, and you have to intend not to do it again, which we, we I mentioned the example from Bones of, of like, no, I know I'm going to do it again. So like, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go into confession because I know it's, we're, we're going to wind up doing that again. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that you're likely not to succeed at avoiding sin is one thing. Knowing I'm, I'm, I am a human. I am inherently not perfect. Right. I know that I'm going to make mistakes, but you have to intend like fully and fully and realistically, you have to go into it intending. I am not going, I don't want to do this again. Uh-huh. I'm not going to make this mistake another time. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to do better. Right. Sure. Um, so if you go into the confessional to get absolved of fornication, right before going out, a out on a date with a condom in your pocket, you're not taking the sacrament in good faith and it doesn't count. Okay. And you've probably uh, also just done, done another sin. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, it's it's also important here to mention that if you confess to having wronged someone, the penance you get assigned is very likely going to require you to face that person and try to make it right. So it's like 12 step, but with kind of, yeah, okay. yes. Um, like if you confess that you lied to your parents about where you were on Saturday night, you're going to have to tell them the truth. That's unless, part of the making amends part, right? Yes, as part of the making yeah. amends part, unless doing so is going to put you in danger. Like if you go to your priest and you say, okay, look, you know, I, I lied to my parents. I told my parents I was at, you know, this place. I was actually over at this place. Mm -hmm. And like the circumstances of me being there are going to be something that like I know that my dad is going to get out the belt. Like in that case, the priest is going to be like, I don't want you to put yourself in danger sure, to sure. do that. But, you know. Um, except in those circumstances, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to have to fess up to what you did. Mm -hmm. Now, although most Protestant denominations don't acknowledge the role of clergy in reconciliation, mm -hmm. um, broadly speaking, the outline of what it takes for God to forgive you is pretty universal across mainline Christianity. Okay. Even amongst the, the, Calvinist Presbyterians? Yes. Okay. Cause I know yeah. that. Rowling was Church of Scotland for a while. Yes. Well, oh. yeah. Growing, <laughs> growing, growing up in in Great Britain, eh, unless you're a member of some other religious community, at some point you are COE or COS. Like that's gotcha. kind of unavoidable. Right. Um, but I'm just now, saying, like that's the culture in which she was enmeshed growing up. So, yeah. Actually, yeah. I remember her being that as an adult. Adult, because I was curious, like you know, when the the whole oh sorcery, um, oh yeah, stuff came out. Like I was like, oh, how is that going to bug her at all? <laughs> and then I looked into her religion, and she was Church of Scotland. Like yeah, while she was at least at least in the beginning of the books. Um, yeah, but okay, okay. So yeah. so Calvinistic, so this uh, is Presbyterians are they still think you need forgiveness from they, God? They still yeah. Okay. Um, you in in most. Protestantism, and I would tend to say, see, because the Church of England is is 
and this is going to be funny coming from an adult convert to Catholicism, but um, Church of Church of England and Church of Scotland are kind of weird in terms of like how Protestant they are. Um, because of course the, the, the root of, of the whole foundation of the church of England was, uh, Henry VIII not getting what he wanted from the Pope. Right. After uh, having supported the Pope after Martin Luther. Yes. After, after having been, uh, referred to as his most Catholic majesty. Right. Like, so, I mean, there is a layer you know, of like, you know, some Constantine kind of shit there. Oh, like, oh. Hey, I did for you. You got to do for you me. You got to, Hey know. now, Hey, Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Different bridge, you know, but same, same idea. <laughs> yeah. Not Novian, London. Um, <laughs> I love that I can make that joke here. Um, Cause anyway, uh, but you know, the, the thing is um, theologically there, there's, there's, there's high church and there's low church in church of England and high church is effectively it's Catholic light. It's yes, we're Protestant, but that's mostly just because we don't acknowledge that that the Pope speaks ex cathedra, right? Like in a lot of ways, theologically, they're they're the, we're 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 lock, not quite yeah. lockstep. That'd be an overstatement, but like close enough that, like, if I'm not able to find a Catholic church to attend to go to mass, my You'll own get most ch- of what you need by going to yeah. well, literally. Uh, yeah. I, you know, going through RCA, what I get told, what I got told was, if you can't make it to a Catholic church, if there's a Methodist church, uh, or an Anglican church, Episcopalian mm-hmm. church, you can go there, and that'll count, because theologically we're close enough. Wow. That, like, no, you know what? Yeah, that's oh god, that's like that's like <laughs> reciprocal rights, kind of at like yeah. Zoos, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, okay. well, you know, you got a California teaching credential. You can teach in these two states. You know, you don't have to right, you know, right. just register your credential and we'll give you one here. And like, you know, it's kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. only, you know, spiritual rather than just legal. Um, but of course, we're talking about Catholicism and Methodism and, and uh, uh, Anglicanism. So, yes, it's actually legalistic, too. Right. <laughs> but um, so interestingly, um, not only is this is this formula um, very much recognized across most of Christianity, but it's also in a secular way uh, very similar to the kind of rules that have been, become fairly standard across social media mm-hmm. for how to properly apologize in a culture in which people say or do sketchy shit. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'd like to break in here and just talk as a parent for a second. Um, yeah. As, as you know, there's a three-part apology process in my house. Um, yeah. There are very few rules in this house. I've I've spoken of this before, but it's it's not bad for our newer listeners. Hi, both of you. Um, but uh, it uh, oh, somebody asked me uh recently because I haven't seen them in forever, and they said, "Oh my God, how have you been? What have what what have you done since lockdown?" And I said, oh, God, man, we tripled our, our podcast audience. We're up to 12. Uh, <laughs> not all at the same time, mind you. Yeah, but, you know, you know it's a rotational but, basis. You know, yeah. Uh, but, no, I in, in my house, there are two rules. Be kind and be honest. Um, nice. And the reason That's why great. there's two rules That's is great. because they're positive rules. These are things that yes. we strive for. And if we fall short of either of those, everything stops. I get you back on board. We repair what might have been broken by you not being kind or you might not being or by you not being honest. 
We repair that, and then we move on. There's no punishment involved. To the point where my daughter even asked me once, she's like, how come you don't punish us? And I was like, what's the fucking point? You fell off a trail. Like, I want us to keep hiking. Let's get you, you on the trail. <laughs> I, I just need to interject here sure. and say you, you are one of the examples I I like to use in on on those occasions where I'm I'm ever someplace where where somebody you know makes any kind of any kind of remark about you know atheists. Oh okay. Uh, which doesn't happen very often because I I try to surround myself by by people who aren't dick bags. But sure. on on the occasions when it does happen, like you 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 are one of the one of a couple of people one of the good that ones. I have well no like I, I don't I don't make the distinction because like sure. every every atheist I know basically I point out that like dude my my best friends who are atheists are better Christians than you are being right now. Yeah that's fair. And 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 what I what I kind of wanted to say a second ago was you know for an atheist you'd make a really good priest. Uh, you know, like, those, those <laughs> bullshit, what color is my parachute type stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Top three or four jobs was there's mortician, teacher, and and minister. Yeah. And it's like, makes yeah, sense. yeah, it does. I, I can, it, you know. There you go. But yeah, because yeah, anyway. like I said, I respect dogma. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, in a so, big way. And I'll yeah. hold people accountable to theirs. But yep. But anyway, so in order to make things whole in this house, if you've fallen off the path so that we can get mm. moving, is you need to apologize. And sometimes it's the recognition that your apology won't come right now because you're too in the moment on the feelings. But but you can bank it. And it's like, okay, you'd better handle that shit, you know, yeah. at a later date. Yeah. You recognize it. You just have to construct it. That's fine. But the rule to apologizing is very simple. You have to acknowledge what you did. Mm -hmm. You have to acknowledge that they didn't deserve it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that's my own baggage informing things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You've taken I'm it and turned it, it into well. something yeah. positive. So yeah. bully for you, man. Yeah, and then you have to uh, describe the way in which you will seek to not let that happen again. That's cool. And you do not get to promise that you'll never do it again. Because mm. you don't make you promises. Can't you guarantee can't guarantee that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and recognize that, you know, because the next time you'll you'll apologize quicker and you'll remind them that, yeah, you still didn't have that coming. That's on me. And so like there it, it does get a little formulaic sometimes when the pride gets in the way for a kid. So, yeah, I'm really sorry yeah. I did X. I you know yeah. you didn't deserve it. And, and I'm like, no, no, mea no. Culpa, mea culpa, yeah. mea culpa, <laughs> culpa. But and for me, it's yeah. like, no, no, no. Come back when you are actually ready to call it what it is. You know, yeah. we are yeah. not we are not just performative here. Um, and then we all get on the path and keep moving. And sometimes we'll get on the cat path and keep moving before the apology is given. But the offender needs to acknowledge that an apology is warranted. OK, OK. Yeah. Because, again, yeah. we're human. They're kids. That, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. We got we got shit to handle. But yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, back that's, to what you're, that's awesome. Yeah. Back to what you're yeah. saying about uh, forgiveness in the uh, the the social media realm. Yeah, in the sphere of social media. Mm -hmm. So, uh, number first, you have to say sorry. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is contrition or remorse, right? Mm -hmm. You have to name what you did wrong. Specifically, you have to own up to the wrong actions you committed. Yep. 
Uh, this requires recognizing that what you did was hurtful and taking responsibility for having done it. Yes. You have to show empathy for the hurt you caused. Digging deeply into the wrongness of your actions, you need to show that you understand why what you did was bad. Sounds like okay. I'm falling over backward into doing what you all do with just fewer steps. Mm. You have to explain if necessary, but don't make excuses. If there is context to the situation that is important, give it, but don't try to get yourself off the hook. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. You need to describe, this is, you'll like this one. You'll need to describe what you're doing to prevent the problem from recurring. Oh, I do like that. Okay. Ties in with penance, showing you're dedicated to not fucking up again. Right. And you have to offer to make things right. What are you going to do to try to repair the damage you caused? Yes. Okay. Now there are all kinds of circumstances in which we've seen this come up in social media uh, a lot recently. Very frequently, like on TikTok, there will be all kinds of stuff happening between creators where uh, somebody will not apologize or they'll fuck the process up. Right. Uh, very frequently, we we hear people getting criticized for, okay, no, fuck you, that was a non-apology. Uh, notably, uh, with Colleen Ballinger, uh, known on YouTube as Miranda Sings, this this you and I don't don't congregate don't spend a lot of time in the, in these corners of of social media, no. but she's a children's entertainer. Okay, and she got caught engaging in some pretty sketchy behavior uh, toward her employees and underage followers. Okay, uh, she was sending inappropriate messages, making weird kind of semi-sexualized remarks um just kind of being being inappropriate okay highly inappropriate and and things came out about creating a hostile work environment for people who are working for her and some of her underage followers came out and said you know there was this we, we were we were in a hangout online and she was you know asking us questions about like when we're going to turn 18 kind of stuff and like inappropriate like it it yeah. didn't go all the way into you know uh uh anything criminal kind of territory but it was it was deeply inappropriate and like really wrong and her response um is a really textbook case of a non-apology and it went viral as a bad joke um, because okay. she she opened up her apology statement by saying that everybody on her team didn't want her to say anything. Oh, boy. And she pulled out a ukulele and created a really cringeworthy song that fuck? that painted herself as misunderstood and kind of a victim like it was it was is bad. this part of uh, like okay let me ask you this is is okay. her brand to be weird and quirky that yeah, way well is there something a going little on there? a little okay. okay but this so, was this was like just beyond the pale this obviously was, yeah i mean but... you know yeah um <clears throat> and and now that we've mentioned social media um in the context of harry potter and jk rowling not understanding why Snape needed to like at the least apologize for his shit. Mm -hmm. This is where we dive into Joanne Rowling's desperately shitty behavior and her own refusal to apologize or take ownership of the hurt that she has caused. 
So first we got to talk about some, some background on Joanne Umbridge. I mean, Rowling. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you become the thing you hate the hate most. The most. Yeah. yeah. So she was born in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, both her parents, uh, her parents met on a train on their way to their Royal Navy assignments in Scotland. Uh, but during Rowling's childhood, uh, they, they, got out of the Navy. Her father uh, was a manager for the Rolls-Royce company. He started out uh, working on the factory floor and moved up uh, into a kind of middle middle management position. Uh, Her mother was a science technician uh, who worked uh, for part of her childhood. Uh, Her mother worked in the chemistry department of the secondary school that Rowling attended. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her upbringing was very middle-class post-war British. Uh, She attended state schools, uh, she wore, in her own words, National Health Services glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although she wasn't the child of privilege, the family weren't poor. Her father's job was white collar. As I said, he'd started out as a factory worker. Right. Neither of her parents attended university, but they didn't need to in order to make enough money to own the family home. Uh, Rowling's family circumstances were cited by biographers as the reason she didn't get accepted to Oxford because she didn't come from the right kind of family. She, you know, she was a commoner. Um, rather than any lack of academic ability, she she had she had the grades that could have gotten her in. She attended the University of Exeter and uh, earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in French in 1987. Okay. So now a few things I want to kind of highlight about that. She's a tail-end boomer or leading-edge Exer, depending right. on which think tank you want to talk to. Generally, 1965 is considered the beginning of Gen X, but some UK think tanks put the date for for the UK at 66 instead. Okay. Either way, um, she's in. She's on that cusp. Well, you tend to go by the values the that a person purports. You don't. It, it like yeah. You know, decades aren't neat and tidy. Yeah. You know, World War II started in 39 and went to 45, you know, yeah. unless you're in Japan, in which case it started in 32. But yeah. in China, maybe you'd think at 30. Like, it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. yeah. So um, her upbringing was middle class, very much like the environment depicted in the Dursley household. Okay. I want to yeah, yeah. point this out, in, you know, because uh, Vernon is clearly in some kind of office level job yeah. working for a company that sells drill bits. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so his, his job, much like Rowling's father's job is industrial adjacent, but he's in a white collar he's part in of it. He's in right. management. And so, you know, there's, there's that echo there. Right. Mm-hmm. Although in in the novels, Petunia Dursley uh, doesn't work. She's a stay-at-home mom, which Rowling's mother was for some of Rowling's childhood. Okay. Okay. Her mother, and this is my next point, her mother worked outside the home, but by all accounts, the standard gender roles still applied in the house. Mm-hmm. Her mother did the housework and the cooking and, and et cetera. Um. She received a university education. She graduated in the late middle 80s as the beneficiary of the Sex Discrimination Act of 1975. Mm, Okay. Okay. And she's also, she's adulting. 
starting starting her adult life shortly after Thatcher takes office. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So to provide some larger historical context, uh, we need to remember uh, that feminism had entered its second wave in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're you're more expert on this than I am. So if at any point you want to jump in with anything, please do. Sure. But the movement's focus at this time is now shifting from suffrage and like basic property ownership uh, to a broader form of equality in society. Yeah, in many ways, uh, social feminism uh, was a offshoot from the first wave, and your yeah. your Alice Paul and your um your Carrie Chapman Cat were very focused on suffrage specifically, but there were other women, yeah. Jane Addams and and ladies like that. Um, uh, Jeanette Rankin is actually a really good example of social feminism. You step into the public sphere to mm-hmm. better protect the private sphere. Um, as is your charge as a mother, a sister, a woman, is to use your feminism to protect. And so it's still buying into that paradigm of women have a sphere specific mm-hmm. to them um, because that's kind of the, the cards that they're dealt. But yeah, that and, and I don't want to say that that's all that second wave is because that's certainly not all that second wave is, but it, it absolutely has traces of social feminism you can draw a straight line from Jeanette Rankin all the way through to Hillary Clinton in the 90s and yeah. if you look at what Clinton's doing in in the early 90s it's healthcare reform why because that's for children that's for families that's for this mm-hmm. um yeah. you yeah, know yeah. stuff like that it's it's very um still very uh woman's sphere uh mm-hmm. informed i will say okay okay yeah i like it um so in the UK specifically, mm-hmm. uh, the Married Woman's Property Act reform of 1964 allowed for women to hold property equally with their husbands. Mm-hmm. The Abortion Act. Oh, real quick. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. It just occurs to me that uh, while I was drawing that line, I meant to draw another. Oh, One yeah. of the ways that women can protect their families is to look to social justice. What is the world in which these children will be born? What is the world in which these families mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. raised? Yeah. And so there is an attempt to start addressing systemic racism. There is an attempt to start addressing the power structures, the patriarchy that is holding women down to 70% if they're white and down to 49% if they're Hispanic as far as the wage gap goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't address feminine or not feminine, feminist needs without addressing racial needs and this isn't quite mm. intersectionalism um but it's uh, approaching it though it is yeah and uh and a lot of it comes i want to say as a reaction to the post war okay now thank you now go back to the home it's like mm-hmm. but, yeah. but no <laughs> there's so much uh, more i can do now uh, yeah um, um wait <laughs> yeah. yeah and and so there's yeah, I mean, reproductive rights are a big deal. They're they're a very yeah, big deal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But you can't separate these things from race anymore. You still can from sexuality on some levels. Like you can yeah. absolutely whisper about that or or stuff like that. But it is um, whereas first wave is very much suffrage and some property rights. This is all the property rights, please. Uh, no, please. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, yeah. you need to do this for everyone. 
not just middle aged or middle class white women. Okay. But having said that, there are certainly schisms within. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there there are plenty of times where it, it, white women were still centering themselves. Yes. So yeah, in a big that, way. That yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you for all that. So it's almost like it's almost like they wanted to end racism, but not inequity. Yeah, that that's sense. a good. That's a. Yeah. That's I would. I would. I would jive with that. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, so the Abortion Act of nineteen sixty seven made yes. abortion legal, yes. as like it's right there on the tin. Uh, but it also gave all women, not just married ones, legal access to contraception. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United Kingdom, at at the beginning of the introduction of contraception, uh, it was it was legal for married women. Which, anyway, yeah. Well, giving Who's women the vote. Also, yeah. there the, like it came in two phases in England. Uh, mm, women's suffrage. Yeah. You had to be over thirty, but not married. To get to vote, I think in the first wave of suffrage, yeah, yeah, and which, then the second which wave follows with the mindset of right. like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Divorce Reform Act established mm-hmm. no fault divorce in the United Kingdom in 1969, the same time as California, as we discussed before in our series on GI Joe and Lashkey Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the Equal Pay Act was passed by Parliament in 1970, preventing preferential pay based on sex. Then in 1975, as I mentioned, Parliament passed the Sex Discrimination Act, making discrimination based on sex or marital status in employment, education, and other areas of public life illegal. It's it's wild to me that that and you came into the world at the same time. Like, normally I tease you for being old. But yeah. Like, that's way too fucking recent. <laughs> like, yeah. It yeah, shouldn't that just really, be, that it really shouldn't just is. be measured in Edwardian lifetimes, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I fully agree. Um, and yes, by the way, for, for sharp-eared listeners, um, I'm sticking to the language of based on sex, mm-hmm. not gender, and there's a reason. Put a pin in yes. that. So as uh, Joanne was going through her childhood, I feel like Doc Holliday. Why, Ike, whatever do you mean? <laughs> you mean? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> so, so as Joanne was going through her childhood, she was surrounded by the idea that as a woman, she was capable of doing anything a man could do. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have to deal with harassment or discrimination based on being a woman. And there wasn't anything that made men better than women. Right. And now I'm not saying she never dealt with sexism because I'm not an idiot. Right. Um, and I've, I've read the rest of her bio and yeah. Uh, but I am saying she was raised just as you and I were because, mm-hmm. you know, we're semi-contemporary mm-hmm. uh, to notice it rather than accept it and not put up with it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which is, is probably the biggest thing that second wave feminism achieved was like, no, no, the, the 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 social recognition that that's a load of bullshit mm-hmm. is to you and me it's it's transparently obvious right. there's there's no there's no second guessing it it just seems like well i mean of course it's bullshit but at the time right. <laughs> this was this was revolutionary this was this was getting um 
Phyllis Schlafly all all you know twisted up and and uh-huh. uh, and you by know, the way, she was successful over here. Yeah, sadly. So. Um, but you know there there were there there was a whole sector of society that looked at this as absolute anarchism like Mm -hmm. you know destructive chaos you know the the order the very natural order of the world was being upended meanwhile those of us who who grew up you know watching free to be you and me you're like uh no that's all bullshit that's all it's all just a steaming pile of scatological matter like you know um so i mean just by itself that's huge um Rowling worked mm-hmm. as a bilingual secretary, uh, and at one point she worked for Amnesty International working on the documentation of human rights abuses in French-speaking Africa, which I had not known before researching cool. this. Kind of cool, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is between graduating from university in 1987 and 1990. Okay. In 1990, she had a really rough year. Mm. Um, her mother died. Uh, her mother had uh, MS. Okay. And uh, had had lingered for a long time with it. Her mother finally passed away. She had a relationship fall apart, uh, and she lost her job, like all in the span of of a few months. That's hard. That's really and hard. yeah. So she took a job in Portugal, teaching English at night, and left England. Uh, went to Portugal. Uh, and met the man who became her first husband, Jorge Arantes, uh, a, a journalist. Okay. They married in 1992, and they had a daughter in 1993. There are no two ways about it. Uh, Rowling was the victim of uh, domestic violence. Arantes okay. abused her. Uh, okay. She has described in interviews that he did not allow her a house key. Uh, he held the early manuscript of Harry Potter, which she had been working on for a number of years at that point and had in a you know typewritten form. He held it hostage as a mechanism of control. Wow. And for his part, Arantes has publicly admitted to slapping her and not regretting it. Does he like, does he have a poster of Sean Connery? Like what's... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. And it's, it's, you put me in a weird place because like, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> let's just move on. Like, yeah. I don't, yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah. So she, she left Portugal, uh, fled, mm-hmm. um, and went through the experiences that, um, we are familiar with, um, kind of in, in larger society as part of the backstory of how Harry Potter got written or sure. how it finally got published. Sure. Um, she was uh, receiving, uh, you know, aid uh, and, and had her child um, was scraping by uh, working on the manuscript, uh, you know, in a coffee shop as she has herself said multiple times, because that right. was where, the heat was on, um, you know, and, and going through some very, very difficult times while working on it. Absolutely. Well, and then, and then, you know, Harry Potter got published in the first book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone got published 
And um, she went from being nobody anybody had ever heard of to being a sensation. And Harry Potter turned into this huge multi-billion dollar property that over the course of a, over a decade, uh, you know, turned into a cultural touchstone for an entire generation of of people right and and became this thing that was the mechanism by which a great many young people learned about valuing themselves and yeah uh the value of kindness and uh, the power of friendship and standing up for what you believe in and doing what's right and all of these wonderful uh you know pro-social uh, uh, values and the movies turned into a juggernaut of their own um, the property spawned I don't even know how many uh, million different fan fictions uh, which is a whole other episode that could be done just about Rowling's relationship with fan fiction writers and and how fan fiction writers have have dealt with this property mm-hmm. specifically. Um, but I need to now uh, kind of fast forward mm-hmm. in time uh, to t- 2020. Okay. And in 2020, um, Rowling made some remarks on, on Twitter of all places, of course, um, where she, wherein she essentially said that, uh, she, she basically stated that she is an essentialist when it comes to sex and gender, which is why, of course, I used the language I did earlier right? when I was talking about legislation during, uh, the, 60s and 70s in the United Kingdom. Now, just real quick, and yeah. and if you're about to do it, cool. Yeah. Um, please define essentialist or essentialism. Okay. So, essentialist in this case, uh, in in the in the sense that I'm talking about, is there is a deep seated streak within the Harry Potter universe, really, where um you either are something or you are not something and you don't choose what you get to be. Okay. That's kind of what I'm coming down on here. Uh, That's the, that's, that's the easiest way for me to explain it in this context. Yeah. Um, And, and I'll get into kind of what that means in terms of gender identity here in, here in a second, but in, in the Harry Potter universe, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce away from the real world to the universe that Rowling constructed, mm-hmm. because again, as I mentioned in the last episode, one of the things that caught my attention and led to me going, no, you know what? Okay, I got to finally sit down and write this episode for the podcast. Was at the beginning of book one and at the beginning of the first movie, because mm-hmm. it happens in both places. Um, Dumbledore tells Minerva McGonagall they are the only family he has. Right. And is referencing the Dursleys. 
Mm-hmm. Now, as somebody who has spent a lot of time in fantasy universes, reading fairy tales, reading fantasy novels, reading stories about making contracts with the fae and like getting finding a way to get out of a contract made with the devil through a loophole and all of the magical rule sets that exist in folklore and everywhere else uh in all of the stories that we tell as as people across cultures um there there are rules and there are loopholes in mm-hmm. those rules mm-hmm. and the the line that dumbledore has is they are the only family he has and we never really get a line for line description of okay no the law of the gaius i'm i'm putting on him or the or that he's operating under you know, we, we never find out, is this like a protection that, that Dumbledore crafted? Is this like an after effect of, of, you know, his mother sacrificing herself or like, what is it? Right. What is it that, that means like, clearly we know he has to be uh, staying with or under the protection of family in order, in order to be hidden, in order to be safe. Mm-hmm. And, and for a very long time, I, I defended Dumbledore. And part of this is my own generational outlook. Sure. I defended Dumbledore because obviously very clearly Dumbledore is supposed to be the, the wise mentor wizard figure. And like, this is his whole role in the story. And part of the trope that we're working with is Harry's home life has to suck just in order to magnify how cool it is that no, no, you're a wizard and you get to do all this other stuff. Right. Right. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, and it's a classic trope. It's, it's the same thing although cranked up to 11 for whatever reason that we see in uh, the once and future King by TH white uh-huh. um, in that version of the Arthurian legend, Arthur is living with Sir Ector and K and, and like that's, that's originally out of the source material, but in TH white's version, K is not just kind of the smart ass kind of sort of jerk ass that he is in the original legends. He's like actively abusive and, Hector is not a very good father figure. And, you know, um, right. and, I mean, and that's, we see this in sword in the stone. Yeah. You know, more yeah. animated. Obviously. Yeah. And, and, and so that's the, that's, that's the trope that we're dealing with. And okay. So Rowling is working with this trope, but okay. Dumbledore kind of winds up being an asshole because of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was kind of like, no, no, Dumbledore is still a good guy. And here's the thing. In Rowling's mind, yeah, she writes is. him as one. Right. He she writes him as one. But to all of my millennial friends who are, you know, younger than me, mm-hmm. um, it's a really clear like the level of vitriol. Yeah, you don't fucking like, put a child in an abusive household. Yeah, Period. like the moment the moment you found out that they were depriving him of food and keeping him in a in a cupboard. Right. Like, like the, the shit that he was putting up with, you don't leave a kid in those circumstances. You find some other thing to do. Right. Right. And, and the thing is though, Rowling has constructed a universe Mm -hmm. in which family means 
you have to be staying with somebody who is closely enough blood related to you as to be an aunt or an uncle. Yeah. Now, now we know, we know that, you know, Harry's, Harry's father came from an old wizarding family. Like he has to have second or third cousins. Yeah. I mean, right. He has like there, and and based on the circumstances under which he was orphaned, there there is no way mm-hmm. that his wizarding extended family, however distant they might have been, like Dumbledore being as as knowledgeable and connected as he is, could easily have found out, okay, well, you know, his his nearest, you know, wizarding relatives are, you know, these folks. It's, you know, a second cousin of his dad's. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Like send him to them and they'll probably jump on the opportunity to to be his guardians because he's the boy who lived and we've all been terrified like no no we're going to take this kid in mm-hmm. and even and and so that's that's even if you want to be a literalist and an essentialist about well it has to be blood relations right 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 well okay you have any number of people who loved lily and james like siblings right you hand the boy to one of them even if uh you believe that Sirius black was responsible for their deaths and whatever which plenty of people did and that's that's a plot point in in the third book like even if you believe that um okay you don't you don't hand him to black because black you know betrayed them but like remus lupin yeah and and Lily were were besties. Yeah. You know he'd jump on the chance to raise this kid. Absolutely. Rubius fucking Hagrid. Now maybe Hagrid. Maybe you don't trust him. Yeah, maybe, maybe you don't hand an infant. Yeah, maybe you don't hand an infant to Rubius Hagrid just because right. judgment, whatever. But you get what I'm saying. Like oh, there absolutely. are any number of people. And throughout the book, there are so many adults who love Harry so much. Or, it's one of the most it's one of the most powerful most affirming most positive things yeah. out of the series is the number of people who love this kid mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. you can't be clever enough to figure out a way to like find a loophole in that rule yeah or you uh again what the there's, fuck? there's there there's an entire muggle world in which you could hide him yeah. Like it's not like they don't have foster systems over there. Indeed. You could send him to a group home if you feel like he needs some level of abuse. <laughs> like there are so many yeah. things that you could do that would improve yeah. his situation. His circumstances. Yeah. Where he was that take minimal effort because you could just loop him into a bureaucracy that you could magic him out of anyway. Yeah. Like, like, oh yeah. no, a kid went missing in Corning. All right. Mm, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. no offense to our Cornish listeners. Um, <laughs> but uh Cornwall. You were looking for Cornwall rather than Corning. Oh, was I? Cornish Cornwall. Oh, okay, yes, yes. But anyway, yeah. sorry. Certainly no offense to our Cornish listeners. Uh, yeah. For for both for, for that gap. Um yeah. but uh you know, more to the point. Um there there's 
there's kids that go missing. There's there's yeah. ways to have done this. And I also, <clears throat> you know, I I always had trouble with that aspect of it because of how I define family. I've I've never defined family based on bloodline. Yeah. Um because of, you know, the the families that I've I've had positive and negative experiences with. So, mm-hmm. for instance, my sister lives very close to me. Um and her sons are my kids' cousins. Here's the thing. There is no blood relationship between me and my sister. None whatsoever. Mm, And therefore, her kids are not my kids' cousins. Mm -hmm. By any kind of consanguinity. Um, My sister was taken in by my stepmother after she had divorced my father. Um, Not taken in legally, as far as I can tell. There was no actual adoption. Um, Mm -hmm. But... She and I grew up somewhat close by my, by virtue of my going down there and visiting every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I, you know, remained close. And she is my sister and I'm her brother. Uh, we look nothing alike. She's Yemeni. Uh, but <laughs> and and my nephews, uh, who consanguinely are not my nephews, but mm-hmm. they're my nephews uh, on my my kids mom's side. Um, they have cousins who are their second cousins, which Mm -hmm. means that their parents are cousins, but they don't, which means that my kids then are cousins, first cousins once removed from, you know, those, they don't call them that. They call them aunt and uncle. Yeah. Because that's what they are. Yeah. Even though consanguinely. Because that's just easier to say well, not only that but yeah. that's the relationship they have yeah, yeah and it's yeah. the relationship that defines the title not you know not, i i yeah. i'm the only time i'm essentialist is when i talk about my dad and my father my father donated uh the the <laughs> genetic material yeah um and was found wanting in most other ways my dad did his best to do the job so he gets yeah. the title um by the way i'm adopted by him Mm-hmm. We're not consanguineal, but I am legally adopted by him, which tell me, what does that make my brother that, you know, yeah. does that make him my three quarters brother? Because I'm adopted by his dad and he and I share a biological mom yeah. because we're more than half brothers now by virtue. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and therefore is his daughter, my half niece, my three quarter niece, like it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. When essentialism you, when you... breaks down because family doesn't fit into neat little boxes unless you're doing a patents of nobility to figure out who gets, you know, this 400 yeah. acres over here. Yeah. So, yeah. And anyway, by the time so, yeah. you're trying to make divisions, it wouldn't be 400 acres. No, <laughs> it'd be not. like 15. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, but, but yeah, I would just no, sell and, back to the richest one anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, just give me the cash. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've never, yeah. never dug that hole. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, in my lived experience, I, I grew up an only child, um, but, um, you know, former guests on the show, um, Sean and Bishop are both my brothers. Like I didn't, I didn't meet my brothers until, uh, the seventh grade, uh, in the case of Bishop and college in the case of Sean, but they they are my brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that relationship is, is that that's what that relationship is. Yeah. 
you know, and um, yeah. So essentialism, it is, it is a peculiarity of Rowling's outlook on this, that this is the definition she's working from. And I mean, I dare say that possibly if, if anybody were to try to talk to her about it, she in, in real life, when she's actually dealing with real people, her own outlook on it might not be quite so cut and dried, but it says something about her outlook that in the universe that she constructed, Mm -hmm. this is the way that worked. Now, I, I will say this because you keep saying in the universe that she constructed, and that is a yeah. valid critique. Um, I will say this, though. Many people are unaware of the firmware and the operating systems and the assumptions of those operating systems in which they are constructing these universes. So did she set out to write a allegorical story about World War II and the fact that it orphaned a lot of children plus boarding school culture, plus, you know, uh, essentialism. I don't know that she did, but that is on all three levels, the most British shit ever. Like, (laughs) well, it's not her fault that she was born British, but like, not at all. Uh, But uh, but So how much of that is her consciously doing that? Um, And again, she's got a bachelor's in French. uh, Therefore she's exposed to literature. Yeah, but just because you're exposed to literature doesn't mean that you see the pattern on the wallpaper either. Okay, without without going so far as to say anything negative about her level of intelligence, which is not my intent. Right. I don't think any of that was consciously interrogated by her on any level in the process of writing these stories. See, and I fully agree with you. <laughs> I I, I no. agree with you. Um, this, this is all pattern on the wallpaper, uh, kind of, kind of level for her. This is, this is the story she told based on, she's trying to tell a story about a boy and there are some things in the story that are, um, that she will say are directly informed by her experiences. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that um, if you pressed her, she would eventually admit that Lily Potter is a self-insert character. Mm-hmm. I don't know how hard you'd have to press. You might have to press pretty hard. You might not. I don't know. Um, but I think eventually she would she would admit to that on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, unlike Anne Rice and the child vampire character she created in her series. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off the topic. Um, but... No, I, I, none of this or very little of it anyway is, is conscious. Right. And, and that's, and that's kind of part of my point is she doesn't really understand what it is that lies behind this disconnect between what she meant to write and what actually winds up showing up on the page to anybody who's not her. Sure. Um, you know what? So is having is, is Severus ahead. Snape really her self-insert? Incapable of self-reflection and improvement. Essentialist. Yeah. Big fucking bully. I mean, we haven't we uh, haven't gotten she around to the point. Redeemable. Yeah, 
we, we <laughs> the part where she thinks he's redeemable, I think is, I think is very germane to, to is kind of where I was trying to go, where mm. I am still trying to go with this. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't quite ready to start hitting her quite so hard over the head with, with the, with the metaphorical nightstick, but I can't say you're wrong. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think it, I think it really means something that she would write a character like that and then try to redeem him mm-hmm. or try to convince all of the rest of us that he is redeemed sure. without having done anything. But um, I, I think, uh, well, I know in, in a conversation that, that I had with uh, Bishop um, while I was working on, on the notes for this, uh, one of the things he pointed out as a published fantasy author uh, is she really desperately needed an editor. And one of the things that a, a yeah. good editor might have done for her was look at her and go, okay, wait, you have him name Snape after this guy, or you have him name his son after this guy. Um, Why? Again? Yeah. You know, like, if if you're working toward this goal... I, I'm not inside your head. Like clearly there's, there's some, there's some set of assumptions or some, some thought process it's, you've got. Yeah. It's, Hey, where did he get that rifle? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, and then he pulls out the rifle. What do you mean? The what, rifle. The rifle. You, you say Maybe that like a rifle. Be... Okay. Okay. Yeah. But even then we should talk, but yeah. Yeah, uh, Chekhov did not did not include this gun. Um, where where was this? Um, so yeah, and and the this this leads us to kind of you know getting back to wh- where exactly it is that that she has you know um, done some things that certainly the rest of us think she needs to apologize for that she doesn't seem to understand like how they were wrong. Right. So in 2020, and I'm trying to find the the tweets right now. I want to say it was June of 19 of 2020, not 19 anything. Um. So let's see. Now I'm scrolling through all the re- responses from everybody else around her, saying, uh, "No, she's full of shit." So. All right. So here we go. So on June 6th of 2020. Um, Rowling retweeted uh, a, an article uh, about uh, creating a more equal post-COVID world for people who menstruate. And she took issue with the phrase people who menstruate. Her exact quote, people who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wumpen, wimpened, wumid, opinion. And, and then she, there's the article. Right. And a whole lot of people told her you're kind of being a dick not kind of you're being a dick uh and her response rather than looking at that and going at the very least i'm sorry my my tone sucked i i should not have been so disparaging that was that that was awful i I apologize for that like at the very least like even without even yeah like just that would have been something and then shut the fuck up right but no her response is, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but 
Right. But, like, fuck you. The moment you say but. Anyway, erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. That was on June 6th, 2020. Right. She then, and, and then, and she kept going. The idea that women like me who've been empathetic to trans people for decades. Um, how exactly? When, when have we seen this? Feeling kinship because they're vulnerable in the same way as women, i.e. to male violence. Hate trans people because they think sex is real and has lived consequences is a nonsense. I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so. And then she quoted uh, an anti-trans article from a lesbian author. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, uh, then on June 10th, she published a really long post on her website and sent out a tweet that read Turf Wars, basically claiming the title of trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Right. Um, which led to a bunch of backlash. And and ever since then, it's just been, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And consistently, her tone has been one of dismissal, sarcasm, uh, basically yeah dismissal and sarcasm like in yeah. any other any other phrase i'm i'm going to say is just going to is going to be branching off of those two points and the thing is um now i'm going to go back to where i said put a pin in uh those those phrases uh from the 19 from the legislation in the 1970s mm-hmm. uh because the there is a there is a very significant aspect of sex essentialism meaning you are you are born one of these two things and you don't get to change that right doesn't doesn't matter what your identity is doesn't matter like you know um if you're if you're trans like i love you but you're not really a woman or you're not really a man like, how do you say that and not see how uh, utterly destructive that is to the value of the person that you're talking to? Mm-hmm. Like, legitimately, th- that makes me want to look at her and go, you haven't ever actually interacted with anyone who is trans, like, ever, have you? Or, or you haven't ever known anyone or, who is. Or she's that person who has black friends. You know, yeah, okay, I, there's that. Like, there's yeah. a trope over here in America. Yeah. I don't know that. Well, I assume such exists over in England as well. Uh, but just the, um, I have a friend from this marginalized group, and they're fine with me using language that's detrimental to them. Um, therefore, it's not detrimental uh, yeah. because they understand it. They get where I'm coming from, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's. You know, that's that's the jumping off point to the mental gymnastics. And I think I think there's maybe something on there's something going on there. I also think that there's, um, you know, the the more I I listen to and and hear those those tweets bounce around in my head, 
the more I think, yeah, that is complete essentialism. Because the way she comes off is, well, I'm using the classical definition of the word. Is she's being proscriptive? I believe is the yes, word. yes, yes. With the language, instead of allowing it to have instead of descriptive, right? And yeah. you know, well, if a person is b- being discriminated against because they are trans, then certainly I will stand up against that. But if they're being discriminated against for other reasons, and it's like you're really endorsing the status quo is what you're doing. You're not uh-huh. an ally or an accomplice. You're, yeah, because... You're, you're being a hand-wringing liberal who is figuring out reasons why they don't have to get in there. Yes. And do the fighting. Yes. Yeah. Because, and there's and there's a couple of different directions I, I kind of want to bounce off of that. Sure. Um, Going, like, starting with the one you just, you just threw out there. Her entire upbringing was um she she is a feminist to the extent that she grew up in a time where all of these ideas out of second second wave feminism were normalized right yeah. yep so it's never been revolutionary for her to have a job right. it's never been revolutionary for her to expect to get paid the same as a man in her position It's never been revolutionary for her to believe that she should be able to get away from an abusive relationship. It's never been revolutionary. None of these things are, are anything um, transgressive for her. These are not rights that she has had to fight for. These are things that she has assumed. She is the, the union person who I guess I'll pay my dues who doesn't realize the yeah. benefits that you take for granted are the ones that we have fought for for 20 years. Then literally um, people died for. Yeah. Within the context of the labor movement as a whole. Yeah. Like, I would say, I would also say this. Um, so going back to my description of second wave feminism, yeah. um, I said that there does need to be a connection between uh, this kind of feminism and social justice for people of other colors and, and, and things like that. It can't just be white centric. Yeah. That being said, it is the elimination of racism as policy, not necessarily as practice or as traffics. It is, and, and that's what I was trying to get to, was that yeah. because, because second-wave feminists absolutely were like, no, it is not okay to discriminate against people because they're black. All right, now that we've solved that, and it's like, uh, you know, but of course, of course there should be rules at a workplace that monitor the kind of hairstyle you should have uh wait <laughs> and it's, and it's yeah. like wait wait yeah. you don't see how that's no that's not because they're black that's just a hairstyle choice that's just that's just a professional norm right and yeah therein and therein is where yeah. the the ceiling is for second wave feminism that's, yeah that's and that's where and that's where third had to be described that's that's where third and fourth wave had to come in with like no no we're we're being we we need some genuine uh uh the word just slipped out because I'm on my second beer I'm sorry um it's intersectionalism the idea that Interse- it, it, we need we need yeah. to have genuine intersectionalism like yeah it's yeah. the idea that you simply removing the legal aspects of supremacy yeah. and racism and patriarchy that does not mean that you are done. Removing a bad is not the same. Creating a world in which there's tolerance mm-hmm. is not the end of the story. 
That yeah. is the shoulder that you jump from to create acceptance. And then you jump from acceptance to create normalization. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and full inclusion. So it's not, yeah. you have a seat at the table now. It's you get to decide the menu now. Like, yeah. and the menu has shit that you like on it. Yeah. Not just you get to choose what you're picking from the menu. So like, yeah, second ways feminism absolutely is like, we deserve a seat at the table. Cool. And you shouldn't be discriminated against because of your race. Also cool. Or your sex. All right, cool. Or your sexual preference, although we're going to be a little iffy about that. All right, cool. Yeah. But that's where they stopped. And, you know, I, I, we've said this before, like, yeah, at some point, we're going to time out as well. We're going to. Oh, be, yeah. We're, and, and I'm hoping I'll recognize it and go, oh, I just need to get out of the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, instead of like, oh, it's gone too far now everybody thinks it's gone too far for their generation kind of thing. I mean, yeah. shit, I, yeah. I don't have contact with certain family members anymore because, mm -hmm. you know, because of my stance of like, no, you could still go farther, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think she's very much of that ilk of very much rid of racism. It's like, no, you got oh, rid of legalized racial discrimination. <laughs> Like, mandated legally mandated racial right. discrimination you know, has been well done that and and that is a huge step that's, that's much that, bigger yes. than parents had that's a big deal but yeah. you don't get to stop there and you don't get to tell other people that they should be happy with what you've you achieved or, or what or what the people before you in the case of rowling it's not even what yeah. you achieved it's what the people before you achieved in fairness, she did work in a human rights thing. And I'm, yes. I'm, I'm going to give her credit for caring about that kind of shit. Yes. Yes. But, she does get credit for that. Yeah. But that, you know, and, and, and what I keep coming back to is I look at the way Lupin is written. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And even in the text, like it's so clear, like it's, it's, it's like queer coded out out to out to 11 like right. and and i can't help but think that that was at least on some level something she was aware of and how you can manage and and i mean i, I know this is possible just because you know people suck but like right. i don't i don't get how you could write that and then turn around and be so contemptuous of of another group that is that is marginalized over a related kind of issue she's not she's not contemptuous of that group in her mind she's contemptuous of people trying to go further than is necessary She's contemptuous of people daring to challenge her use of words. She's an author, damn it. Yeah, okay. There's you that. Know, I, I think I think the the because I think of the family members that I know who, you know, God, you make everything about race and blah blah blah. I'm like, well, who'd you vote for? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and yeah. yes, you know, and, and then I'm like, yeah. well, how could you do that when when you have black and brown grandkids? Yeah. You know, and and well, you there you go making it about race. I love my grandkids, and I'm sure you do. Like, but they're in like they don't have contempt for those groups of people, even. 
mm-hmm. and they certainly don't have contempt for those that are their loved ones. Yeah. But there is a layer of there are others without even realizing it. Oh, there yeah. are others. Yeah. And I don't want to have to care about it anymore. And I think it's that part. And again, I'm all yeah. for people saying, oh, that's too much for me. Then get out of the way. <laughs> like yeah. that's you got to take that next step off the path. Yeah. Like you, you can't just be like, I have a huge problem with it. like unless the problem is genuinely a moral one. But hers sound linguistic. They sound like linguistic essentialism, proscriptive well, language use. One, it's prescriptive. It's it's proscriptive language use. That's that's a big that's a big part of it. But I think there's something there's something behind the proscriptive language use. Mm-hmm. I I think that her lived experiences of needing. Uh, of of having been in a circumstance where she needed a safe female space mm-hmm. combined with her inability apparent inability or unwillingness i don't know which i'm 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 trying to be charitable by saying inability sure to understand the lived experience of trans people that combined with her lived experience needing to to escape from male violence has created a situation in her head where, well, okay, no, look, women need to be protected in this way. And women need to be able to have this, this, you know, there there needs to be for her on an emotion. I'm guessing, and this is all me, you know, mm-hmm. making assumptions here, but it it reads to me like women need to have uh, this ability to be to be separate from and protected from men. And if you have male genitalia, you are a man, right? And therefore. so you don't get to be here in this feminine space. You know yeah. what I mean? No, I and, do. And I, I do. and and I'm and I know that that is somewhat reductionist of me. No, but it it makes sense. You know, there's, you know, there's also, I don't know. I just I just keep coming back to sometimes someone will use seventy percent of their battery life on one battle in their life. Yeah, and I wonder if she didn't do that. It's possible. You know, with all the trauma that she went through and all the success that she found, she finally got to a point where she could just relax. And for her, relaxing was not having to fight for anyone anymore because she always had to fight for herself in yeah. her mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I get that. Yeah. I see what and, you mean. and so yeah. there's just a, you know, the fight's over because I'm done fighting. Yeah, you know, and I, I come back to that, but I think you're absolutely right. I think it, you know it doesn't have to be one or the other, and I I, I yeah. hate to just say oh it's it's both, but like I do think that you're you're what you say there's a lot of merit to that. Like she needed a safe space in her life away from men, and therefore yeah. anybody who has the stink of man on them in some level trying to come into female spaces or feminine spaces, um, that is a threat to her on some level. Mm-hmm. And, and I could certainly see that as well. Yeah. And, and the, the, 
uh, baseline essentialism. I mean, it, it shouldn't have surprised any of us when she came out with this stance, because right when we look at the universe that she created, you are born a wizard. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. You don't get to learn to you. I mean, you, you get to learn to focus your abilities to use magic, but you don't get to learn how to have the ability to use magic. Mm-hmm. You're either you're born one or not. Now, interestingly, in her own universe, there is the case of squibs who are wizards, but don't really have enough magic to to like fully use their abilities. You know, okay. or or you know, uh, they're they're muggles, essentially muggles who are born to wizarding families, right? Okay. Okay. Um, but the bind, but the the way society treats everybody is still basically pretty binary. Right. You either are a are a wizard and you get to participate fully in wizard society, or you're a squib. And uh, like Mrs. I want to say Mrs. Norris, but I think I'm wrong in that That's name. The but cat. the cat. Yeah, but, but it's the person who owns the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Mrs. Norris is is the cat. I'm, I'm thinking that's uh, Argus Filch, who is right. a who is a non magical member of a wizarding family. Um, but I'm I'm thinking of of the neighbor of the Dursleys, who's given the job of keeping an eye on Harry when he's in the Muggle world. Oh. Who we find out in book four or five that no, no, she's a squib. She she knows about the wizarding world, but she doesn't have magical powers. Right. And so, like, okay, she gets this job of watching over the boy who lived, but she doesn't get to participate in wizarding society. You know, so there's still this binary, right? Yeah, yeah. And and this one just jumped out at me actually this evening because my son wanted to watch the first movie again. Um, I've, I've seen that movie so many times now. Um. But, and, and there's, and there's moments that keep coming up and I'm like, oh my God, how did I not fucking notice this before? Um, that, um, Harry, um, finds out that his father was also a champion seeker. And the, the phrase that Hermione Granger uses is, of course, you're a great Quidditch player. It's in your blood. Right. Even the like, mud, or even the mud blood says it. Dude, not cool. Don't don't be don't be bringing those slurs on here. But yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, she and and in universe, of course, she knows it because she's like read everything already because she's you know overachiever. But like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's in your blood. Oh wow, another another case of you're either born one or you're not. What right. the fuck joanne come on now right um and and i i don't know what that i I don't know if that's like a, a result that that mindset is a result of the the inherent kind of background classism mm-hmm. of of uk society i think like so. I mean, it, I mean, that almost feels like too pat an answer, but that's that's the most no, not, obvious. No, not not when you look at the fact that there is a boarding school that is central to all of it. <laughs> okay, good point. Yeah, you know, so, um, and there there are just all of these cases in mm-hmm. which 
uh, you either are something or you aren't. And in the case of Snape, Rowling decided that Snape was a good person. Because he is one. Because because he is one. And <laughs> now you, you mentioned uh, Calvinist Presbyterianism in our last episode. Yep. And I find it funny because... <laughs> That's now we're getting into the idea of predestination, which uh-huh. is like, okay, well, you know, if you're one of the elect, it doesn't matter how you behave, you're going to heaven when you die. Right. And and like maybe, maybe that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um I I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's certainly I, pattern on the wallpaper shit. Yeah, it could be. You and know. and I don't know how how uh blatant that would that would have been in yeah i don't, in I don't what know she how frequently was, she know. went to church or i mean yeah you but, know but, but she did identify as a churchgoer so yes yes so there like we do know that much and you know within within that particular stripe of protestantism the idea of predestination um is a thing and so like okay well no Snape is a good person, even though he does all of this awful shit and never apologizes for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somewhere within within her head as the author that works. And so because of the weight of her voice in the narrative, as a reader, there is kind of a convenient out for people to to make the same assumption, right? Sure. And you have to be really engaging with the text very critically uh or or at least somewhat critically in in order to look at it and go uh wait, what? No. That doesn't work. And that's and I never did that with Snape just because Snape as a character hit my buttons as hard as he did like instantly. Right. But I did do it with Dumbledore, and it it has taken a lot of conversation with a lot of people who are, by and large, younger than me, which is an important thing, too, mm-hmm. uh, for me to look at it and go, yeah, no, no, Dumbledore kind of, Dumbledore fucked that up. Dumbledore is not, Dumbledore is not a good guy. Um, And I've, and I've come around to understanding that, uh, or, or understanding that interpretation of the text. So, you know, and, and in, in that way, I still assert that, uh, both Dumbledore and Snape kind of got screwed over by the author who was writing them because she didn't interrogate her own outlook on things enough to give us evidence to support Dumbledore being a good guy or Snape being a good guy. Right. Yeah. I agree with that because in her head, there was this, there was this essentialism, this kind of Calvinist, well, you know, they are elect and so they're good people, um, which is therefore no need to forgive. Yes. And therefore no need to forgive and therefore no need to confess. Yes, which then also gets to 
her own attitude uh, in regard to the significant amount of hurt that she's caused to a lot of people. There are a lot of LGBTQ people in the world who grew up as huge fans of this series because of the things this series said about being true to yourself and about the power of love and about uh, friendships and about, I mean, look at the relationship between Harry and the entire Weasley family, but especially Ron. Yeah. Like Harry and Ron are me and my brothers from another mother. Like, yeah 110%. Um I am a Ron Weasley stan almost to the extent that I am a uh Ron's mom stan. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know as I've said before Minerva McGonagall is is teacher goals even though I I want to give her side eye about you know not standing up to Dumbledore about a lot of shit. Um you know but like <sighs> There are so many things in this series that are so great. And she just shat all over it for so many people. And at the end of the day, like you can have your opinions and you can, you can have whatever, whatever outlook you want to have on issues of other people's identities and whatever. But at the very least, the very least you can do in order to be a good person, in order to be as good as the characters you fucking wrote mm-hmm. is you can acknowledge that what you've said is hurt people. Yeah. That you have, that you have like hurt people badly and you can apologize for hurting them. And then you can shut the fuck up and stop doing it. Well, and she's done what I wish I could have done 1% of which is make enough money that she could just disappear. Yeah. And not have to do any of that. Like, yeah. Just give go. Me, away. Give me that much money. I'll shut up and go away. Oh yeah. Oh, easy. So, yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have enough of a, of a, uh, overdeveloped sense of duty and responsibility that maybe I wouldn't be able to completely disappear, but like, you know, I'd at least think real hard about going away. And I don't think Rowling has, has even done that. Yeah. And and then and then and then it actually gets even worse because then she's gone on and she's published other works mm-hmm. um outside of the Harry Potter universe in which she has demonized trans people as serial killers. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean she- like She's tripled down, like you said. She's tripled <laughs> down. She's picking a side, and and it's it's she's going. It's one of those things of she's going after an entire group because some people from that group made her feel bad. Yeah, like you know, it's it's it would be like if oh god, I don't know if if somebody from Oregon <laughs> ripped me off and I just every villain in every story I ever do is Oregonian. Is an Oregonian. Yeah. And 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 the part of it that really I I just don't get is how as as one of the wealthiest authors in the world. Mm-hmm. How do you not recognize that you are punching down? 
like she she has she because has she literally... sees everybody as her equals she thinks that the job is done we've ended racism there is no down there is no punching down in a world where we've achieved full equality wow okay i guess yeah. i can see that yeah <laughs> she's not right but that's no, no she's yeah. not um that's that's actually remarkably uh, in, in a way, that's kind of a very charitable way of looking at it. I, I was just under the impression that the whole reason she was doing it is just because, you know, my feelings got hurt. So I'm a victim. No, I, no this is what. the problem that I always have with liberals. Like, this is why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. I, you know, and there are so many, so many liberals, white liberals, particularly, Mm-hmm. who, like, I, I have come around to recognizing that at the end of the day, I am one. Mm. Um, as much as my upbringing makes me, like, desperately recoil mm-hmm. on, a, <laughs> on an instinctive level. I'm like, no, no, I am one. Um, and then And then I hear you make a statement like that, and I'm like, so why can't the rest of my fellow liberals figure the fuck out? Like... I came, maybe it's because I came from where I came from. Like I, I had, yeah. to, I had, Whereas I had to they were walk. born into it. Like she was. Yeah. I, I had to walk. I had to walk this far that I'm looking at it. Like, no, I still got a ways to go, man. Right. Like, Cause walking is a part of your journey. Whereas they, yeah. they were, you know, came up in it. You know, the, the other part is uh, why can't the rest of them? Cause they've gone far enough in their mind. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. God damn it. You know, you know, and, and in in kind of in that vein, the funny thing is, it, at the end of the day, the things that have made me a liberal mm-hmm. are the values that I was taught by my really conservative dad. Like, well, you're the one always talking know, about an Overton win- window shift. Yeah, well, there is that. Yes, yeah. you know, but. I, I have, I have, I, as much as the Overton window has radically shifted right, like so far as to be ridiculous, uh, except it's actually a thing. Um, I, I have, I will recognize that I have moved left. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have, I have gotten as far as being a distributist. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you and Hillary Clinton, you're a little to the left <laughs> of her. Because wow. you're more Eisenhower than Clinton. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. True. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I've also shifted left. I mean, I yeah. again, I started liberal and thought I was done. Yeah. Uh, and then I, you know, had my pants pulled down in front of everyone. And I'm like, oh, right. Off I go. Um, hey, yeah. me for a minute while I go figure yeah. some shit out. Yeah. You know, and and rolling like, like for fuck's sake, she made a point. Of of standing up in front of an audience full of people, like for no reason, you know that 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 meme, nobody, right, nobody right. at all, right. And then below that, J.K. Rowling, oh yeah, Dumbledore's gay, yeah. Like, honest to God, going back through the novels, he's mm-hmm. not queer coded. No, he's not. And you he's... know, part of me is like, cool, <sighs> anybody can be gay. That's awesome. But also. This doesn't advance the story in any way, shape, or form. This this does nothing. This is this is clout chasing. Yeah, it might you make know, him uh, lesser 
uh, as a gay representative character now, um, because of the shit that he does. Because of yeah, because he's because, because he's not he a good guy. Protect. Yeah, yeah. There's like, so there's there's that. Yeah, I I you know I I also think that um, what she's doing now is chasing down the people who will validate her experience for her. And when you have that much money, part of me is like, when you have that much money, just fucking go to a spa every day then. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but, but she's British. So maybe right. not, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. She has to be recognized as being, you know, one of the good members of the nobility, I suppose. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's essentially, <laughs> essentially that's, that's, yeah. You know, we've 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 come around to the point that I was trying to make is that um, she is a she is a centrist liberal, which essentially which means I keep saying essentially, which is funny. Um, she is effectively um, a defender of status quo and yep. thus conservative, which shouldn't really surprise anybody who reads the books. Mm-hmm. And I wish that she could have a Pauline moment and fall off her donkey and land on her ass, and and recognize that maybe she needs to, at the very least, apologize to the ten hundreds of thousands of people, possibly millions of people, who she has in fact hurt, mm-hmm. who who loved this book these the series of books this whole property and and who it has been tarnished for forever because because of her because of her shit you know you know just apologize for the money that she's given to anti-trans organizations yeah you know start yeah. there like start there that's yeah. that's a good place to start um so yeah um snape <laughs> Within Catholicism, we we don't ever say that anyone is in hell. Okay. We we don't know that. We can't know that. And the only people that we can point to and say that person is in heaven are the people that the church has recognized as being saints. That's actually what makes someone a canonized saint, right? Okay. I, however, I'm going to go out and limit. I'm going to say that Snape is in the bad place. Because okay. he was a shithead and a bully, and his death did not redeem him, and Rowling doesn't get that because of everything I just described, and all of that is tied to the same behavior that has led to her being where she is in in public opinion on Twitter and and everywhere else. So there you go. That's cool. that's the end. That's the end of it, and it's her essentialism and her her lack of understanding of how redemption actually works that led to all of this. I like. So, based on that, mm-hmm. what is your reaction or 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 your takeaway from all of this? Uh, Final thoughts. I think she could have written Mace Windu. Okay. Yeah. You have my attention. What What do you He's mean an essentialist. by that? Uh, okay. Sticking to the dogma. Um, okay. And and not really seeing the humanity or the sentience, essentially, uh, huh, of yeah. uh, of of their mission. 
Um, you know, I think she could have written him uh, effectively, okay. given given yeah. her attitudes. All right. So, and, and also, um, you know, it, uh, oh no, shocking! Uh, a billionaire uh, stopped listening, stopped being told no a long time ago, and now they have some really <laughs> shitty takes. <laughs> <laughs> who would yeah. have guessed? Yeah, like, whoever would have guessed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. That's I mean all right. It all works. that all that I've said has been in this episode. So Yeah. <laughs> um all right. Cool. What you reading? Um or recommending. I, I am going to recommend uh once again mm-hmm. uh that everybody go out and find a copy, uh purchase a copy, uh give my friend money. Uh, of uh, Two Gun Witch by Bishop O'Connell. Um, for all of the reasons that I mentioned in the last episode, it is a really good adventure yarn uh, that touches on some very important topics. Um, and I want to see my friend uh, do well uh, from what he's written. So there you go. How about you? I'm going to recommend two books again, uh, but they're both going to be books that are within a series so you might have to read the whole series to get it uh the first one being jedi search uh i believe yeah i believe that's by kevin j anderson it's the one time he mm-hmm. dipped into star wars for a little while um mm-hmm. they're not particularly good books but there's a really wonderful scene <laughs> in in the first few pages where wedge is helping clean up coruscant um, and the things that he and Luke say to each other. I think that that gets at some of the stuff that we were talking about. The other one I will recommend is a Star Wars book again called Sacrifice by... Oh, it's by Karen Travis. Um, okay. And it's in the middle of the uh, Jedi Legacy series, which is one of my favorite series. I think I might actually start rereading that. Um, but... Um, there's a wonderful discussion that uh, Ben and uh, and Luke have uh, in in the again in the EU that is no longer canon. Ben is Luke and Mara's child, um, but there's a wonderful discussion that the two of them have about um, choosing to act, and uh, I really really dig that, and okay. it gets away from the essentialism. So, nice, yeah. Um, you and I don't want to be found. Where can they find this podcast? Well, um, our website is wubba, wubba, wubba dot gayhistoryoftime.com. Uh, and uh, we collectively still for, for the moment are on Twitter at, uh, at geekhistorytime. And um, you have already found us. If you're listening to us, you've found us either on Stitcher or Spotify or the Apple podcast app, wherever it is that you found us, please subscribe, please, sir, subscribe some more. Uh, give us the five-star review, uh, that, you know, we deserve and, um, anything else, uh, you want to look for, go back through our archive and, and take a look. We cover all kinds of stuff in, in Damien's case, anyway, exhausting detail. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there and, uh, where we, uh, we did some Harry Potter stuff back before that's true. she started turning on, uh, everyone. Yes. Um, yes. So before to, before she became yeah. twisted and evil. Yeah. We did. So yeah. Well, cool. Uh well, thank you for this. This has been uh, a lot of fun. Um, I was always wondering if we were ever gonna get back to Harry Potter, uh because yeah. of how awful she is. But yeah. I like <laughs> Well, and this is 
kind of because of how awful she is. Yeah. So, yeah. There so you go. well, well yeah. threaded, sir. Good needle. All right. Thank you. So, well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.